Welcome to Slasher, I Hardly Know Her, a podcast where we look at horror movies old and new and determine whether they're anything that you should even waste your time watching. As always, we're joined by a very special guest this week, a three-time nominated Nickelodeon Kid Choice Award nominee, I do want to point that out, and a multiple Grammy Award winning artist. Micah, Micah, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Alex. It is a pleasure and an honor uh, to be on the show as a guest uh, because first and foremost, I am a fan of this show, so it's really cool to get to come on and talk to you. It's always good to have a fan on as a guest. It makes me feel important, and I love to feel important. (laughs) You do feel important. Uh, It's one one of my favorite things in the world. I'm feeling you right now, and you feel very important. Oh, thank you. That's very certain parts of you. How how creepy of you. Thank you so much. Uh, You know, that is worth uh, mentioning when, you know, we joke about the Grammys there, but uh, all the music that you hear in this podcast made by you. That's true. I make it at home. Our our theme song, our music that goes to breaks, uh, all concocted in your weird, wild brain and then uh, goes through your fingers and into instruments and then uh you send it to me it's amazing how much music you can produce in such a short amount of time that's really good i'm always impressed by that i make music with my fingers you make music with your fingers and your big weird brain some call it finger music yeah that's right some do call it finger music i've heard that that's uh yeah we should put that that's what we should have named this podcast ah welcome back to finger music Music for your fingers. I'd give that a listen. I'd listen to finger music. So this week we did 1988's Maniac Cop. There's someone out there. No one knows his name. No one knows his face. Oh, no. But now, the most terrifying man in the city. Carries a badge. You want to give me initial impressions? I mean, is this a movie you knew about? Did, or was it when I suggested it, you were just like, I have no idea what it is? I have never seen it. I knew of it and had seen boxes, pictures, etc. But no, I'd never seen the movie. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, it was not a piece of poo-poo. I, that's exactly what I texted you. I said, I believe you will be pleasantly surprised. Because, I mean, I like you, I'd seen it. I'd seen the box. I knew it was a thing. But that's about all I really knew about it. I mean, I knew it was about a a maniac cop, I assumed. I didn't really know what it was. And this is kind of everything. This is a horror movie. It's an action movie. It is very, very, like, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I loved that about it. It just felt like so many action movies that I've watched as a kid. When you texted me, uh, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. I didn't believe you. I thought, no, I'm not. He's wrong or lying. I'm not sure which. I thought maybe you were sabotaging me, telling me I was going to be pleasantly surprised. Because, Alex, you never know what you're going to get. When you, it's, it's like watching these movies. It's like going on a first date. You show up. You hope it goes well. Maybe you're a little nervous. Maybe your palms are sweaty. Maybe you had a drink before the date got there. But this one, it was all right. I, if I was if I was on a date with Maniac Cop, I'd be like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to go on a second date with you, but we're going to go ahead and seal the deal tonight. 
Oh, well, I, I would go on a second date with Maniac Cop. I hear the second date's better than the first. I, I saw that somewhere. I that Maniac Cop 2 is better than Maniac Cop 1. And Maniac well, Cop 1 was pretty damn good. You know, that's what we heard about Basket Case. And still, I'm I'm a little hesitant to even delve into the Basket Case universe again. I did uh, not enjoy the first I one. just posted a clip from Basket Case 3 on our Instagram where uh, <laughs> the scrotal twin grabs a, a police officer, breaks his neck by, you know, completely twisting it so now it's facing backwards. And he's he's gone bald, this this sheriff or deputy. So you see this this horseshoe baldness uh, that used to be the front of his head is now the back, and he's shaking around and falls on the ground. It's pretty good. Oh, I have to check it out. I haven't looked at our Instagram. It's a funny day, death. So I have to check that out. Uh, you know, it's got to, it had to have gotten better because the budget was so low on the first. I mean, they were really, we talked about it. It was grill filmmaking. And I do want to point that out. I know it was hard on Basket Case if you listen to that episode. And it's not, I'm not being difficult. I'm not being hard on that movie because I know they were a low budget movie. I know that they were scrambling to, for every, you know, dime they had to get every shot on there. And I really respect that. I respected a lot of the special effects that were in it. And the fact that they were able to accomplish that on such a low budget, I have respect for all of that. Thought some of it was even well done. Just the movie itself, I did not enjoy it particularly. I don't want to go back into that world. It made me uncomfortable. Basket case is that special friend you have. You don't love to take him to parties, but you will because you feel like it's good for him because it's the right thing to do. You'll give him a hug. You'll give him a drink. You'll let him have some of the hors d'oeuvres. But, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of wish he wasn't there. I No, I think Basket Case is the guy who I go, oh, sorry. No, I already have plans. God, it just never works out <laughs> like this. We, I promise we will go to a party one day. But, uh, yeah, just today I'm just so busy. I, I just can't make it. That's Basket Case for me. Really, it sounds but, like we're treating the Basket Case movie much like uh, Dwayne Bradley treats Belial. You know, he loves his brother, but mm-hmm. when he wants to go on a date, he's going to leave that basket mm-hmm. on the dresser in the hotel room at Brazen Hotel. By quote-unquote accident, right? Oops. But uh, I did not feel that way about Maniac Cop. Maniac Cop, uh, I mean, I almost was embarrassed. You know, I watched it with my wife, and the movie's over, and I look over at her, and I was like you know, a little reticent to say, you know, that that's a pretty good movie. And she agreed. She was like, that was a good movie. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's, it's not a, the most amazing movie ever or anything, but it was really good. I mean, it, it kept your attention the entire time. There were about 80 plots in the entire thing. There was a lot of story going on, but uh, I think at its heart, yeah, I mean, yes, it is an action movie, but I do think at its heart, there's no question that it is a horror movie. It's a slasher. This maniac cop is going, he's killing innocent people right and left, uh, pretty efficiently, I would say. And then you've got the whole story of them trying to catch the maniac cop and figure out who he is. And in that role, the main detective uh, who's trying to figure this out, Tom Atkins from Halloween 3, uh, which is you know what I know him from. But he's from a lot of great you know movies of that era. He's a fantastic actor. He's and great. I think, he does, he yeah. does a hell of a job. Yeah, and he didn't... One thing I really did appreciate about this movie was he was on it from the start. It wasn't like we had to sit around while Tom Atkins investigated and eventually did come to the realization that, yes, there is a maniac cop on the loose. He immediately thought it was a maniac cop and then immediately went to 
kind of the odd, uh, you know, the hard to believe truth, which was this was a former NYPD police officer who had, you know, been wronged or, you know, felt he had been wronged and and believed to be dead. Uh, he jumped right on that theory and was like, yep, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah, why not? I mean, <laughs> he just went with his, his gut, his instinct, and it, it happened to be right this time. And he's so a hell hope- of an actor. And then Bruce Campbell's in there, which I'm just happy anytime he's on the screen. I don't care what movie it is. Completely agree. I mean, I think anybody who's listening to a horror movie podcast would say, oh, yeah, you know, Bruce Campbell makes everything better. There's no question that that is true. In this case, I was surprised. I mean, I'm a Bruce Campbell fan. I did not know Bruce Campbell was in this movie until the credits started rolling. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I didn't do any research on this movie going in. I just I picked it, and we did it, and, you know, and it's got a, quite a cast. I mean, you know, Shaft is in this. You got Shaft, you got Bruce, and you've got, uh, what's the actor's name who plays the Maniac Cop? Uh, Robert Zadar. Robert Zadar. Yeah. And he is fantastic. I mean, they couldn't have picked a better guy for that role. You don't really see that guy much. I mean, you see his body, but he's often in shadow, and you don't really see his face till near the end, I guess. Even in the uh, flashbacks, it's kind of shadowy. You don't, you know, you see his his naked, uh, heaving bulk of a body in the shower <laughs> before he gets sliced to pieces. But uh, yeah, you really don't see him till the very end at Pier fourteen. Zadar has cherubism, a very rare disease that gave him this very interesting looking face. He had a very large chin, uh, but. Uh, perfect for this role and for those of uh, you who don't know what cherubism is uh those of you in the in the midwest cherubism is when a man acts like an angel that's right and it's and, and, and hence why it's such a very rare condition i only gave a cursory glance to what cherubism was but it, it accounted for why his his jaw was so wide and i don't know much more about cherubism other than that if that's the only feature of cherubism is that you've got a big wide jaw I don't either, but uh, it, uh, he got, it got him the nickname The Chin, and by, you know, pure coincidence... The Chin, real that also, creative. That is also Bruce Campbell's nickname, The Chin. So both of The Chins were in this movie. Do they also call uh, uh, Jay Leno The Chin? I don't think they call him The Chin, but if anybody else deserved that moniker, I think Jay Leno. I think I- he... You know. I mean, I think Zadar makes uh, Jay Leno and Bruce Campbell look like they have little baby chins. Yeah, it's not a pointy chin. It's a big, broad... It looks like a prosthetic. It does. Uh, I thought I've maybe seen... he was like Mickey Rourke and he'd had, you know, one million plastic surgeries and that's right. what, what Is happened Is that what Mickey him. Rourke did? Is that why he looks that way? I don't know the ins and outs of it. I know what he used to look like and what he looks like now, and I know he boxed for a while and got his face pretty beat up. I don't know if the surgeries He used to be a were... beautiful man, didn't he? Wasn't he a good-looking guy when he was young? I, uh, he was a hunk, dude. They all wanted him all yeah. those Hollywood movies because he was such a gorgeous fella. Uh, but but uh, I, I don't know if it was reconstructive surgery or if it was just cosmetic because he wanted to look young or what have you. But anyway. Yeah, he did. He does not look great. He does not look great. Although he was in that uh, Iron Man movie. I thought he was great in that. He was good in The Wrestler, too. He, he <laughs> I never saw The Wrestler, but yes, I've heard good things. It was mostly his back. Mostly a camera just follows him around and you see the back of his head. Oh, well, then that's kind of like what Zadar, the treatment Zadar got in Maniac Cop, because we really don't see him much. 
So we open up in this movie. We're seeing, uh, you know, an officer putting on his uniform, white gloves, you know, kind of that opening Rambo sequence. Fuzzy little white gloves. Yeah, fuzzy little white fuzzy gloves. Little putting on his uniform. And you think, oh, this is, you know, this is some, you know, distinguished officer. Actually, it's the maniac cop. And pretty quick on, we see a girl, dirty New York, that quintessential 80s New York that we've Whoa, talked about before. I mean, before. she doesn't seem like a dirty girl. She seemed like a nice girl. She's not a dirty girl, but New York oh. is dirty. It's that gross 80s, 90s uh, New York <laughs> that was an actual thing and certainly uh, showcased in all movies at that time. Uh, she's going down the street and then immediately is accosted by a couple of, I'll say, street thugs. Uh, she puts up a hell of a fight. She, she not only does she put up a fight, she wins. She smacks him with her purse. They don't get her purse. She gets the hell out of there. <laughs> she beats the crap out of him with that purse. I mean, she she's taken some sort of self defense class where a purse is the weapon of choice, and she uses it expertly. I would say to dispatch these two guys. Uh, Nobody pulled away. out a switchblade though. In these old New York scenes, no, I always they, expect yeah. somebody to pull out a switchblade. Yeah, that was a failure of the filmmakers. They just probably couldn't find a switchblade that day or the one they had broke. Because, yeah, it was it was a classic uh, New York switchblade thug scene. Uh, but she gets away. She runs. Uh, they're kind of, like, chasing her down. And she sees kind of a mysterious cop in the fog in this, like, opening at, like, a park or something. So she runs to the cop. And sure enough, he picks her straight up in the air by her neck and snaps it while the thugs look on. That's hard to do, to hold a person up in the air and break their neck at the same time. I I don't think I could do either of those things, but certainly, I mean, I guess Zadar must have been a pretty big dude. Uh, they talk about it a lot, how big this guy is. But yeah, picks her straight up and this snaps her neck. Uh, street thugs, they move on. They're like, I'm not, not going to mess with this. I would think probably also turn their life around at that point, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you be like, wow, the cops are... They're snapping necks up in here. It was a complete 180. Now they volunteer at soup kitchens and they help old ladies cross the street. Yep, yep. So that's her first death in uh, in the books. Uh, Maniac Cop immediately snaps a girl's neck. And I really thought, you know, seeing this, I didn't think that's what was going to happen. I thought she would have been like, oh my God, you know, you're, you're crazy looking or something and run away. And then he would kill the thugs. But that is not the direction they took. Hmm. Eh, maniac cop changing lives. He set those boys straight. Set those boys straight. I mean, a true hero, really. I mean, yes, his methods, yeah, they're they're a little suspect, you know, snapping an innocent woman's neck, but... How does he, he snap said, it? He lifts her up. It's like he cranks it to the left, then he cranks yeah, it to then the he right. Kinda, yeah, he just kind of, yeah, he just kind of wrenches her around with his, with his uh, palm, and uh, she drops to the ground, right? Yeah, she's dead. She's toast. So we head to the morgue, creepiest mortician. New York uh, sidewalk in... toast. Is that is that a thing? It's one of our sponsors. Oh, New York sidewalk toast. <laughs> How embarrassing. <laughs> I did not recognize that. My apologies. You to just lost us executives the sponsorship. Over at New York sidewalk toast. Uh, yes, uh, best sidewalk toast in the nation. <clears throat> All right. So, okay, that night's over. And then uh, wh- where do we start next? Do we see Bruce? Well, we go point? to... We go to the morgue, uh, and that's where we're introduced, I believe, to Tom Atkins. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Who, you know, the the mortician who has this uh, fantastic mullet. I mean, a mullet that if I could grow today, I would, I would single-handedly try to bring back the mullet, which, by the way, is making a comeback, I think. But this guy, nobody could have anything on his mullet. 
This was no hipster mullet. He owned this. This was a debonair he mullet. He owned it. It was quite the mullet, especially for a medical examiner. But uh, he says to the, you know, he says to Tom Atkins, he's like, yeah, you know, he, she was strangled by some street thugs or some teenagers or something. And to which Tom Atkins replies, I got it written here. Uh, take a look at the size of those hematomas. Look at that hematoma. A child couldn't make a hematoma like that. No, no street thug could make a hematoma that size. Don't pass out on me, Lovejoy. Take a look at the size of those hematomas. Now, you think either one of those two kids could have done that? This is a monster. Hematomas that size can only be made by a monster. Tom Atkins immediately not uh, not on board with the theories that everybody else is going uh, going with to his credit. Uh, and he takes those uh, theories to, I guess, his captain, who is a bad mother. Shut, shut, your, shut your mouth. This is where you're supposed to stop me and say, shut don't, your mouth. Don't say that. This is a kid's <laughs> show. We don't say that kind of stuff. There's a lot of words you can't say. Remember, we talked about the list of words we can't say on this show. We can't say mother. We definitely okay. can't say and, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We just stay away from those words. Don't say motherfucker. Don't say on the show. Pretty positive. We've now said those a couple of times. Yeah. Wait. As? No, we yeah. don't say those shows. I mean, um, on the show. But, but you just did. We can't say motherfucker. We can't say We can't say shit. What are some other words we can't say? <laughs> I don't know. So you help me God, if you lose us the New York Sidewalk Toast sponsorship because you couldn't stop dropping the F-bomb, I'm going to leave the show, Alex. Aren't you required at this point to make a New York Sidewalk Toast commercial? Because you've talked about all this. Now you're going to have to make one. And you're going to have to figure out what this product is and make a commercial for it. I'll make it with my fingers. Oh, yeah. Use your amazing finger music fingers. That's what I do. Uh, what's uh, the what's the gruff cop's name? It, somebody Smith, the actor who plays him. Is it William Smith? Michael Smith? The, gr- the gruff cop? Yeah. What do you mean? The guy. He he's the he he seems kind. He's almost like Michael Rooker. He's kind of gruff, and his face oh, looks all scarred. And I right. think he was like a bodybuilder and uh, cured cancer and did everything else you can think of. Yeah, I have him. Uh, I have him listed as Captain Cigarette. Yeah. In my notes here. But I don't think we... Do we meet? No, I don't think we meet Captain Ripley yet. Right now, we're talking to Shaft, and, uh, you know, uh, Tom Atkins is saying, hey, you know, this is this is serious. This isn't, you know, just some street thug kind of thing. This is a big deal. And to which Shaft replies something like, uh, didn't you try to shoot yourself? As a matter of fact, didn't you try to shoot yourself a couple of years back? Oh, oh that's right. That? That's right. Yeah, he's like, he like out of nowhere. Up some past Real, suicide attempt really sensitive. After yeah, he lost he, his partner, was that it? Yeah, like, he said, yeah, he lost his partner. And uh, uh, Tom Atkins says, oh, well, the gun just went off. And then Shaft says, you don't smile very much. Yeah, what's up with Shaft giving this guy a hard time? He's just trying to give him some some of his ideas about the case, and Shaft is all like, you know what? Let me dredge up all these problems you've had yeah, in your right. life. We don't believe you. Very insensitively you... throw them back in your face, because yeah. that's what colleagues do. And then it's never mentioned again, we should point out. That, that, that was the only mention of it. It doesn't seem to have affected uh, Atkins' life in any 
negative way that has made the rest of the force think he was some kind of rogue or some kind of, you know, something that shouldn't be trusted. It's just this one instance where Shaft <laughs> says, hey, didn't you try to shoot yourself? So I yeah, think we can all smile. learn a little bit. Much. Well, let's, let's yeah. do that. We'll learn a little bit about how to do relationships from from, from him. I'm going to use that on you. You'll be like, hey, Mike, I got an idea for something. I'll be like, oh, do you? Well, how about this? Remember that fucked up thing you did 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? What does that have to do with anything? You don't smile enough. You don't smile very much. And we did skip past the second death. Guy and a girl making out in a car. Uh, oh, yeah, maniac yeah, yeah. cop knocks on the window. This is before the shaft scene. Knocks on the window so they think they're getting pulled over or Let's something. Let's set the scene. It's nighttime in city, dirty, dirty New, York. New York City. They're in a car. They're driving down the street. They're making out hot and heavy in the car. And then, what, there's a knock in on the, the street, too. Hot and heavy in the street. They're not, like, pulled over. Yeah, they're in a car in the street at a red light, right? I think so. Sure. And then there's a knock on the window with a baton. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you just see the lower half of the cop, and he kind of motions, get out of the car. And uh, the guy is like, ah, oh, you know, crap, honey. I, you know, I got to get out of the car or whatever. He gets out of the car, goes in front where the cop has pulled him or, you know, told him to stand. And immediately, without being asked, begins the DUI test. Just immediately starts touching his nose, and the cop hasn't said a word. <laughs> you gotta like prove you're what, not drunk that's you what do you that? do every time I've ever gotten pulled over I just start touching my nose hop out of the car start touching your nose and walking a line and hopping uh -huh. on one foot I, <laughs> I mean I think that's I I'm, I think that's ill-advised uh, if you're if you're trying to prove that you're not drunk I think the worst thing you could do is immediately without uh, any any asking by the officer to immediately start <laughs> doing the DUI test I think that might be a tip off to them that something's up. I'm going to start doing that. I get pulled over for doing five over the speed limit. As soon as he's like, do you know how fast you were going? I'll be like, I only had a couple. Look, I can touch my nose. See that? Z-Y-X. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll have a better outcome than what this kid did because uh, the maniac cop, as opposed to doing anything else or saying a word, uh, pulls out what is, I guess... I'll say a hidden sword. It's not a full sword. It's like a, a long knife that is hidden within the police baton and then just begins slashing the kid about the face. A lot. Uh, yeah, a lot. Many uh, slashes. And then picks up his body and heaves it onto the car that he got out of, scaring the, the uh, word we can't say due to sponsors out of the girl that's in the car. And this very clear, gelatinous, syrupy blood goes all over the windshield. I thought you were, I thought you were calling the, the girl uh, the C word. I thought you were saying, and scares the word we can't say. I was like, why, would you, why wouldn't you just call no, her a girl? No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. It, yeah, uh, I got yes, you. It scares that, uh, the, uh, the S-H-I-T out of this no, girl. Yes, and yes, that blood is everywhere. So as a, she j hops in the driver's seat and then immediately applies the windshield wipers. But I love, I mean, wouldn't you just gas it? You'd gun it out of there. But instead, she's like, well, I, you know, I want to see. Safety so first, start, you know, she yeah, doesn't want to run into some poor pedestrian. Yeah, she starts windshield wiping that blood right off of the thing. And then she drives, uh, she drives out. I mean, like, she makes it, right? She doesn't die, does she? Yeah, I think she's good. She gets out of there. She's yeah. gone. She she probably t took the car to a car wash. And, and uh, that, 
that's when we meet Shaft. That's the next day. There have now been two maniac cop murders, and that's when we meet Shaft, and we learn that uh, this guy can't be trusted because he once tried to shoot himself, and he doesn't smile a lot. Uh, and I will say, oh, and then he gives the that great smile. He says, you don't smile very much, and then Atkins gives that, like, Oh, that is a creepy grimace. smile. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was it was wonderful. Tom Atkins is amazing. Um <laughs> And so we can go right on to the third death, which I know is one of your favorites. That is the trombone player. That's the only reason it's my favorite is because he brought a trombone. I like that they made a choice and they're like, it's not a guy just getting in his car. No, it's not a guy with a suitcase. It is a man with a trombone case. He's a trombone player. I mean, you know, I had to do a double take. I'm like, is that a trombone case? It's got to be thousands of trombone players in New York, right? He just happens to be one of them. You know, when they're writing that scene, they're like, and he's he's carrying a trombone case. I'm sure the other guy was like, why? Why is he carrying a trombone case? It's like, why not? Because he's a trombone player. player, Why can't he be a trombone player? (laughs) And he is a trombone player, and uh, he he gets it uh, in an interesting way. He is accosted by the maniac cop who cuffs him behind his back, uh, which, you know, my understanding is police officers do that because it's tougher for you to get away. If they cuff you in front, you know, you can run a little bit, I guess, easier. They cuff you in back, uh, much more difficult to run. Not for this guy, man. This, he runs like a jackrabbit. He is gone, man. He <laughs> is out of there. But unfortunately, he trips and falls face first into wet cement on the sidewalk. At which point the uh, maniac cop grabs his head and decides to, I guess, suffocate him or drown him in in cement. Yes, just like holds his head down in cement, and then uh, boom! You uh, we cut to the next morning when the New York street workers are jackhammering the now set concrete. They're jackhammering this guy who is stuck in the concrete out. Which I really like that scene. I thought that was cool. They're they're jackhammering, you know, a good three feet away from where his face is in the concrete. I don't know what the plan is. What was their plan? I would love to hear the meeting before that where they're like, well, we'll jackhammer around the face. And then it seems like I you mean, should call you, in like what uh, are you gonna Alan. Do? I, I know what I would do. I would get Alan Grant and uh, whatever Laura Dern's character's name was from Jurassic Park and let them, you know, get their wee little chisels and brushes and do it that way. Not just oh, jackhammer his head out of there. I love that you were able to pull up Alan Grant immediately, and then I really hate that I can't think of what her name is. Why can't I think of her name? I don't know, but I had a huge That's crush what... on her in that movie. Oh, oh, me too. Her little me khaki too. shorts and that. Yes. Up. Oh, Everybody our age had a crush on Laura Dern. I had a big crush on uh, the little girl in that movie. She was the same age as I was when that movie came out. And uh, I read in some magazine or something that she was a vegetarian. And I was like, yep, I'm going to do that. So I became a vegetarian for like you know, three years or something because the girl who played the girl in Jurassic Park was a vegetarian. So That's I why a you became a for, vegetarian? Well, I mean, there were other reasons. You know, I didn't want to eat animals. I was, you know, a big animal guy or whatever. But and mostly it was because you liked that girl a lot. Yeah. I had a crush on a movie star and somehow this got me in my like 13, 14 year old brain. Did you write her a letter? Did you let her know, hey, I became a vegetarian for you? It's possible, dude. What's her name? I know you know her name. Her name is... It's in there somewhere. Keep on digging. You don't even have to Google this. If you loved her that much, you know her name. Her name is Ariana Richards, I think. Let's see here. Jurassic Park. I'm going to say her name is Ariana Richards. Jurassic Park came out in 1993, which means you were, what, 15? Uh, I was probably 
14? I don't know. And little little 14-year-old Alex is at the movies just like, oh, one day. Ariana Richards. She and I. I nailed it. (laughs) I nailed it. I got it. Wow, that was a real simp move. Uh, That's what the kids call it these days when you do something for a girl. Oh, really? You're a simp. I was a simp? You're a real simp, Alex. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I started listening to the Cranberries because a girl I went to summer camp with, it was her favorite band. So I was like, oh, I listen to the Cranberries now. At least you knew that girl. This is, I I did this because of the girl who, the unknown actors who played a little girl on Jurassic Park. But it's not like I was doing it to impress her. I was doing it for all the reasons. I didn't wear leather and I did, like, I was really into it uh, because of, you know, animal cruelty and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. And I should say that that was only, you know, three or four years of my life. I I think, uh, you know, I've tried to go vegetarian a couple times since, but, and you are a vegetarian, right? Oh, let's see, like seven years strong. Yeah, seven years strong. My dad's been a vegetarian for since we he, we went vegetarian at the exact same time. So when I was thirteen or fourteen or whatever, and you know I'm now uh, much older than that. But so my dad, I mean, he's been a vegetarian for like twenty, thirty years, something like that. Mm, meat, I miss it. It's so delicious. It's good. I mean, it's good. But you know, I, I get all the reasons. All right. So, uh, so the guy we we've got the guy in the. Uh, We've got the guy who's now the third maniac cop death. The news is getting out there. There's a maniac cop on the loose. And so now people are scared. And that's when we see the woman in the car who gets pulled over uh, for something. Uh, they stay really tight on this actress's face uh, a lot during the scene, which I found to be an interesting choice because she has a very visible and real cold sore on her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and they, I mean, these are these are the most extreme close-ups of the movie. I and think it's it looks like they tried to put some sword. makeup on that cold sore. It, it looked did like not they, work. They had done a little work on it, but it just made it that not, much that, more exciting to look at. They put like yeah, a that little... cold sore continued to ooze through the makeup. Mm, a lot of cold sores in New York in those days. You couldn't help but get one. Be careful in New uh, York. You might get a cold sore. Apparently, that is a thing. And so she gets pulled over for whatever, speeding, whatever. And so the cop comes up, and it's very reminiscent of the second death, where it comes up, kind of taps on the window, and she knows about the maniac cop, and she screams something like, you're not going to get me, and then just blows away the cop, pulls out a gun, and just kills him. You're not going to get me. Of course... Not the maniac cop, just a cop doing his job. A nice young kid, too. That cop looked like he was about 16 years old, and he's toast, man. That was the best kill in the movie. That was my favorite kill in the whole film. Why? Because it shocked you? Well, yeah, it was shocking, and it was sad because an innocent person got killed by another innocent person who was just grumpy about her cold sore, so she was a little trigger happy. But that was the best-looking death, and to me, the most impactful, the one I was like, oh, shit. Well, it's, it, it certainly sold the panic that the city is now in. People they, are scared know, of cops now. Yeah, they're they're scared of the cops now. They know there's a cop out there killing folks, and you know she wasn't going to let him get there, or get her. And that is when, after this, that is when we meet uh, Captain Cigarette, who I have. Uh, Captain sounds like he's gargling with vodka and gravel. That's what I wrote here. I mean, it, it, I think that very well describes his voice. Uh, but at this point, the cops really do believe there is a killer cop. The, before, they had been like, no, that's you know, it's just a coincidence or whatever. Now they're on board. That's I, a, it's I a thing love that's the happening. word picture that you painted with uh, the gravelly voice. But, you know, it's better to show, not 
tell. So can you can you break us off a little bit of his voice? Oh, I mean, I, I mean, it's been several days since I saw it, but he's a lot like this, and it, this is how he talks for everything. Uh, There's no killer cop out there. Killer cop. You're gonna scare people. You're gonna create a panic. You're and, gonna uh, scare people with your voice, Mister. You're scary. <laughs> I really thought uh, I, we talked about this in the first podcast. I thought for sure that we were gonna look it up just based on his voice. I mean, he sounded like a cigarette smoker. I think he smokes in the movie. I thought this was gonna be one of those instances, like in Sleepaway Camp, where we look it up, look up the actor, and we see. That he died you know, during the filming of the movie yeah, and they he, had to weaken at Bernie's for the second half of the movie. Yeah, it was released in his honor or something. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, we'll just I, I won't spend too much time on it here, but he just died. He just died this year. He was in a zillion things. And in that movie, you know, he's he he's real tough looking and you wouldn't think of him being like a great looking guy. But he he's a great looking older man. Handsome I mean, he's fella. A, he is a handsome fella, and I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to get down. He was in a million things. I mean, he was in so many things. Didn't that you I'm... tell me he won a bunch of non-acting awards too, like a humanitarian oh, this yeah. and a bodybuilding award? And oh he yeah, was a fighter. I'm about to, I'm about to tell you some of the things he did. He got a lifetime achievement award from the Academy of Bodybuilding and Fitness. Uh, he was a record holder for reverse curling his own body weight. He was a two-time arm wrestling champion. He was a downhill skier. Uh, he competed in motocross events, had a 31-1 record as an amateur boxer, uh, performed 5,100 continuous sit-ups over a five-hour period, played semi-pro football in Germany, uh, won a muscle beach contest for 35 inverted handstand dips, Honorary stuntman. Uh, what else? There were some great. Uh, he was offered the lead in Enter the Dragon uh, by Bruce Lee, wow. but couldn't do it because of a scheduling conflict. Uh, and there are some really, I mean, there it just just goes on and on. Training partner for uh, <laughs> Mr. Olympia. He fought California wildfires in the 50s. He was a lifeguard in the fridge. He fought <laughs> the He literally this, fought wildfires. Yeah, with this guy's fists. Like, He's like the real Chuck Norris. I mean, he this arm is wrestled just the wildfire. Amazing, and it goes on and on and on. I mean, he he did so many amazing things. He also spoke fluent French, Italian, Russian, and English. Dude, that's not fair. You can't be like the strongest guy and do all these heroics, but then also be smart and multilingual. Like, it's yeah, just, I feel this like guy, a piece of shit next to this guy. Yeah, and you should. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so this cop, uh, he, he's the captain and he doesn't believe anything, uh, about, he doesn't believe there's a maniac cop. The other cops do, uh, because now there's been three deaths and the commissioner, he believes it. He says, he says some line like, uh, you know, we've given people a great reason to hate cops or something like that. Cause they, they know it's a real deal. And that is when we meet Bruce Campbell getting at home, getting, getting ready at home. Very much uh, like the start of the movie, you know, putting his his uniform on, putting his belt on, getting you know his badge put on, and you kind of think, is this the maniac cop? Because his wife is also sitting at like the kitchen table, and she's cutting news articles out of the newspaper about the maniac cop, and then pasting them in like a book. They never really talk about why in the world she's doing that. Was that just to throw us off to make us think that maybe Bruce is the killer? I think so, but I'm also... sorry, not Bruce. Yes, played by Bruce Campbell, but the character's name is... 
Jack oh, what Forrest. Was it? Jack Forrest. That can't be real, but it was. I remember we had to look it up, and you were absolutely right. So, Officer Jack Forrest. Yeah, I do think they're trying to make us think he might be, but also I think they're trying to show us that his wife is a little crazy because then she goes into the, you know, oh, I hate it when you work at night. And he's like, uh, he's kind of mean to her, but she's kind of like, uh, you know, clingy and she says something to him about, you know, she's been hearing voices. And as soon as he leaves the, the house, the apartment that they live in, uh, she gets a phone call. And the phone call is a woman, and she's like, he's going out there to kill again. He's doing it again. And so you have to wonder, was the phone call real? Is that the voice she's hearing? Or is somebody tipping her off that her husband is the maniac cop? And uh, Great then, wife, by the way, because I guess she believes it. She believes that her husband might be the maniac cop. Shows a lot of trust in the relationship. Well, but she is supporting him. She's clipping out the news articles and putting them in a, <laughs> you know, a binder for him for later. If a stranger called my better half and told her that I was responsible for murders going on where we lived, uh, she would immediately tell me and be like, some crazy person just called me and told me that you're doing the murders. And well, that's we a, would have a laugh about it. That's a testament to your relationship, though, which is obviously good. This relationship, not good at all. He's kind of mean to her. And we we learn how bad it is here in a second because she doesn't trust him. So even and though she's they been her, going to marital counseling? Yes. they. I believe they do mention that. And then she is in her nightgown during this entire scene. He's like, all right, I got to go to work. Walks out. And then very uh, next scene, she is walking nightgown. out fully dressed. She's completely dressed. She must have gotten dressed in, you know, half a second. And then she's following him. And she does follow him to kind of a seedy motel. Uh where she somehow gets the key from so, seedy. so many seeds the front desk lots of seeds seeds were everywhere in this scene uh i'm surprised that the foley artist didn't really uh lay down on that crunchy you know just how did really they keep the birds it. away from where they were shooting on account of all that seed and speaking of seed uh let's move into the hotel room because there's some seed being sown Yep, she gets into the hotel room, and sure enough, she found finds old Jack Forrest uh, laying it to another cop. We know she's another cop because there's two uniforms slung over, uh, like, a chair in, like, the sitting room or something. And uh, so we know he's, he's sleeping with some cop, and I think he says something like, ah, it's not what it looks like or whatever, but, I mean, it's very obviously what it looks like. Yeah, it is what it looks like. They're making sweet love. Yeah, and then she oh oh, and then she pulls a gun on him. The wife pulls a gun on him. That little blonde cop is getting lost in the Jack Forest. Oh, that's I hate that sentence. <laughs> that sentence didn't make me feel good, but yeah, she was I guess. Um, and uh, so yeah, she uh, she pulls a gun on him. I guess he talks her down or whatever, and she decides she's going to leave. And she steps onto the street. And within, you know, half a second of stepping on that street, she is yanked into a van by the maniac cop. Because he's just around, I guess. He's always in the right place. When there's a little innocent, lonesome person that can get killed, he's there. He's yeah. ready to kill. And then begins the maniac cop. Not just, he's not this like, I don't know, we can talk about this, but he's not just this like uh, thoughtless killer because this is the point. The fourth death is... Bruce Campbell's wife, Jack Forrest's wife, uh, you know, he goes to work. Uh, he, he did have to go to work and be a cop, so he goes to work. But 
the maniac cop kills Bruce's wife yeah. and then puts her in his motel room. So it's a setup. It's a well-conceived it's a setup, setup, I guess, because the, the woman that calls. <laughs> Was that a sneeze? <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless uh, you, man. Uh, like, I'm he's really stuck up on you, man. <laughs> I tried that to keep going. I was like, I'll keep talking to them apart until these cubs. Yeah. But uh, so the call, they got the call. This is a setup. I'm guessing that the woman with the cane and the leg brace, she's called. They're setting up the lady. They're hoping she'll follow them to the hotel. The maniac cop comes behind. And I, I don't know. I think the whole thing was a setup, right? Yeah, the whole thing was a setup. I mean, I mean, it's made. She's. I don't remember exactly how she is. The maid finds her. I don't know if she's in the bathtub or whatever. But I mean, she's you know brutally murdered. And then uh, Captain Cigarette Butt is you know later at the station, and he comes to tell Jack Forrest that you know his wife has been killed, and he he yanks off his sunglasses to tell him. It's a very uh, you know CSI Miami moment. It's. That he uses the, the his glasses for for you know to to make the point, uh, but it's also very uh, very evident that he thinks Bruce did this. And yeah, I mean, it Jack looks Forrest. like Bruce did it. It seems like Jack Forrest could be uh, could be absolutely guilty. I mean, his wife was there; he was there, but he's got an alibi, so I think that's his out. Mallory, the cop he's uh, he's been hooking up with. Yes, but he doesn't. He doesn't want to give that away right away. And he and uh, he and uh, uh, what's the, what's the guy who immediately thinks that the maniac Tom Atkins. Him? Tom I don't Atkins. know what his. He, can tell you what his McCray. That's name right, is. McCray. Yep. So, Frank McCray. But so he and Bruce or Jack Forrest and McCray, I guess, have a good relationship because he's like, listen, I got an alibi, but I don't want to talk about it yet. And McCray's like, okay, you know. Uh, so I think Jack Forrest is not a suspect in McCray's mind. Yeah, he knows there's a maniac cop. He knows it's not Jack Forrest. I mean, he he absolutely, you know, believes his story and is going to let him hold on to it for a little bit because he doesn't want, I mean, Bruce Campbell just doesn't want to give up the other cop and say, yeah, you know, I've been sleeping with this other cop. So he's trying to do a gentleman's move there. Uh, and it, it, I guess eventually that comes, I don't know. They will get there, I guess. But um so now we're, it's uh, Captain Cigarette Butt and Shaft are at a bar, kind of talking it over. And uh, I, think, I think they both now understand there's a maniac cop, but they do think it's Bruce. I mean, because Captain Cigarette Butt is convinced it's Bruce. And they, and they toss him in jail. I mean, they've arrested him for this crime. He stays in jail. Yeah, he's in there. And then what's the point where McRae goes to uh, the records office at night and, and meets the woman who's, you know, dragging her, her. That's yeah, that's not actually I mean, that's we're coming right up on that. Uh, before that, we see the cop that Jack Forrest was sleeping with, the blonde cop. Oh, see, oh that's right. She's, she's a vice cop. Yeah, she's pretending to be a hooker. Uh, some John pulls over to try to pick her up or whatever. And the entire time he's propositioning her, he is licking his lips because I guess that's what you do as an actor to show that you're a creep. He just nonstop licks his lips. Like, Hey, it worked for LL Cool J. Oh yeah, that's right. You said that was his thing. But I mean, he was doing it to be, I'm sure, I'm, I'm assuming LL Cool J was doing that to be sexy. 
this guy was doing it because like the hooker that he was talking to was so delicious. He was licking his lips. Like that's like such a, you know, 1960s cartoon, you know, cat way to do it. You know, like they, he sees Tweety Bird. And he's like, oh, that's delicious. I have to lick my lips. No one's ever licked their lips because something looked delicious, right? I'm licking mine right now because I'm thinking about Jack Forrest ham. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Jack Forrest ham. Some of the most delicious savory ham from New York. Jack Forrest ham. You know what? Since you've done that commercial... What a good time for us to go to a commercial. What's wrong, Elizabeth? Oh, I can't breathe. It's this stupid cold. Here, try this. What is it? Vicks Vampire Rub. Just rub a little on your neck and before you know it, your stopped up nose will be the least of your worries. Okay, thanks. So, I just rub it on my neck like this? Yeah, let me help. Vicks Vampire Rub. Check your local Walgreens and Walmart for availability. I want to suck your rub. <sighs> What's the matter? Don't have your mojo today? Uh-uh. Well, I think I've got something for you. You do? Yeah, try this. Um. Werewolf energy drink. Unleash the beast. May cause, okay, definitely causes diarrhea. All right, welcome back. So, Bruce's girl is there, uh, the, the, the other cop, she's there. She's getting propositioned by John. She kind of gives him a pass. Uh, she, like, Kinda, he says something like, you know, if you're a cop, you have to tell me, which was a thing in movies back then. I don't know why. And she kind of gives him a pass. Like, he doesn't pick her up. She goes around the corner to smoke. Boom. Runs into the maniac cop, who I'm positive is going to kill her. Like, I think she's going to be dead now. I think this is going to be the end of her. Uh, she then shoots him, because she's a cop. She's got a gun. She shoots 100 him, like... hundred times. Yes. She shoots him a zillion times, and... It really has no effect on him. So that's where this movie is a little confusing. Like, is he this, you know, back from the dead Jason zombie killer thing? Or is he this wronged cop who's coming back to kill people and has his head about him because he is framing Bruce Campbell for these murders? So that is a little confusing to me. Is, I but, mean, he's a cop. Does he just have a bulletproof vest on? But even with that that bulletproof vest, if you get shot that many times, you'd at least fall down. You'd be in some pain. Yeah, Why she is shoots he superhuman? And then uh, Tom Atkins shows up at the exact moment, and I think he might shoot him too. I, I'm not sure, but she makes it out alive. She's harmed, but she makes it out alive. And this is where we meet your clerk. Hey, and Bruce is in jail at this point, right? So we know Bruce can't yeah. be the maniac cop. We know, yeah. If if there was any doubt in our mind as an audience, we know Bruce Campbell is not the maniac cop. But, I mean, he could be. He's Bruce Campbell. He's he's America's sweetheart. Love him. Uh, Love him. He, and then McRae goes, okay, to the scene. This is where he's in there. He's looking for some records, wants to figure out who might be the maniac cop. And then we hear that sound coming from around the file cabinets. You want to make the sound? <laughs> I know. It's, 
It's, she's got a bum leg that she drags behind her, but it sounds like it's an old metal rake. I mean, it's like, it's definitely some interesting foley they chose to really sell her as having this bum leg. But she's like some kind of file clerk or something. And he's going to try to figure out, I think, about the maniac cop. Like, at this yeah. point, does he have some idea who the maniac cop might be? I can't remember if he suspects Cordell at that point or or if he later finds out uh, how how the story of him being a vigilante cop and then the city coming after him because he was, you know, taking justice into his own hands. I don't I don't recall exactly when he found. I that think out. this I is. I was counting I mean, on you to know it because I'm well, the it guest is, and you're the. It host. is somewhere right here. It is somewhere right here. I don't know if it's at this exact moment in the file clerk's office or whatever. But at this point, I can't he believe does... you don't remember exactly what happened. I mean, you are the host of the show, and geez, you really dropped the ball hard this time. You know, I do apologize for that, and it's not as if I, you know, didn't have time to go back and and look. You know, uh, and you know something else I don't like. You don't smile that much. <laughs> it's because of it's because of my jaded past. <laughs> Uh, so she drags her loud ass leg up to him, and I think they're kind of hitting it off. I thought there was going to be some budding romance at that point. I didn't know that she was connected to Cordell, and I was like, "Hey, I think McRae and the uh, the oh. records lady are going to go on a date." I know this. The reason we go to the clerk in the first place is because. Uh, uh, Tom Atkins is convinced that, you know, somebody who knew about the blonde having the affair with Bruce Willis, not Bruce Willis, Bruce Campbell, Bruce Willis in this movie, by the way. Young that would Bruce be Willis. a different movie. That would be a different movie. Uh, she's They're both like, nobody knew about the affair. And she's like, well, I did tell one person. And it was the clerk. She She did tell the clerk about it. And the clerk is kind of weird or whatever while he's there and he's like this clerk knows something because the only person who could have you know told anybody the maniac cop that these two were having an affair is the one person who knew this clerk with the the bum leg so he thinks she's acting a little weird he goes there to ask her for some records and then he like kind of stakes her out and he follows her uh, to like an old warehouse. I wrote here an old ladder factory because there are just, I don't know if it was scaffolding or what, but there are these just huge A-frame ladders everywhere at this like harbor factory or whatever. And there she goes and she meets the maniac cop who is actually, as you said, uh, uh, Matt Cordell, an officer who was, you know, he, he was accused of all his police brutality. He played by his own rules. He shot first. They said he had a, you know, an itchy trigger finger. And whatever the case, uh, he is sent to Sing Sing Prison by, like, the mayor and the commissioner. You they know like what would have helped sure. that, that itchy trigger finger? A little powder, a little Dr. Scholl's. Oh, I thought you were going to say New York Street Toast. And some New York Street Toast. You know what I like to put on my sweet steaming New York Street Toast? Some Jack Forest ham. Oh, man, you're making me hungry. I am hungry. We it's spent the summer. first episode talking about uh, Shutter so much, you thought we were trying to get them as a sponsor, but now we need some. Uh, we need Food Network <laughs> at this point. So, yeah, uh, uh, Cordell gets sent up to uh, Sing Sing for all this police brutality, and it's clear in this scene, and uh, 
and, and uh, Atkins is watching this happen. She is in love with Cordell and or was, you know, and it's is helping him out, I guess, because she loves him so much. Then McCray, like, I don't know, kicks a can or something. I mean, there's some noise and she spins and just starts wildly shooting her gun in that direction. I mean, like, this woman is not a woman to sneak up on uh, for anything in the world. She heard one noise and immediately spun and was just unloading her gun. Doesn't hit him, but he runs off. I mean, it could have been uh, a raccoon. It could have been a child. And she's just like, she's screaming while she's doing it, too. Isn't she like... Who's out there? Bam, 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 bam. Who's out there? I mean, just, I don't know how how many people who were just, who didn't announce themselves. She is just gunned down with like, you know, a a slew of bullets because she is, yes, who's out there? Who's out there? She's shooting crazy. Um, He doesn't get hit. He walks, uh, he's walking out of the warehouse parking lot or whatever. And uh, he's the worst at sneaking up, by the way. Uh, He's just fully lit every time he sneaks he's not quiet and he's always he's never in the shadows he's always out where he's very visible and even if you couldn't hear him if you had been cordell sitting in the chair or wherever you would have seen this guy coming from a mile away yeah he kind of he kind of rambles on uh, as he walks in fact he's immediately uh like caught by like the security guard there at the factory and and he doesn't pay much attention to him. He's like, oh, sorry, I was, I, I was over here taking a piss. And the guy says, you always take a piss with your gun out? Good way to blow your balls off. And then that's, <laughs> you know, that's the end of uh, that guy. Uh, that's the end of that, that guy's big line in the movie. Um, he probably got a lot of roles after that because of that scene because he did such a great job. We know later in the movie, you know, the last like third of this movie, which is all a car chase, uh, like just the longest car chase ever, they go back there and the van or whatever blows through it blows through the gate and that poor security guard it's like hey wait wait he just dive out of the way uh so that that security guard just can't catch a break so he gets smacked too doesn't he he doesn't get killed but he gets hit by the van yeah it like i mean like it hits his leg like square like hits his leg when he jumps out of the way. I mean, I'm sure that man's leg was broken. That looked real. I wonder if yeah, he was this an is actor or a stuntman. Uh, he had to be a stuntman. You think it was a stuntman who delivered the lines, too, if it was the same guy? Yeah, why not? Why not? His role's so small, you might as well use a stuntman. Yeah. But we now know who Maniac Cop is. It's this McRae. He was wrongfully sent to Cordell. Sing Sing. Cordell, yeah, not McRae. I'm sorry. Yeah, Cordell. And uh, he was sent to Sing Sing Prison, and we now kind of zoom in on uh, him, I don't know, sleeping, having a dream, or I guess like thinking about, you know, what's got him here. He's, a, he's like laying on a pallet in this warehouse. His, his hideout is just this pallet that he poor guy has to sleep on. He's in uniform. He sleeps in his uniform, uniform. on yeah. the pallet in the and ladder as warehouse. This, as, this, as this flashback to prison... Uh, where it is, uh, he's in the shower, and you know he's you know he's put half these people in prison because he was this you know cop, and they just like 
starts slashing his face and just slashing him up in there in the shower. And he and puts up a hell of a fight, too. He, he, he smashes him into the wall, and, you know, it looks like Cordell's going to be victorious, but I guess there were too many of them, and then they whip out, I don't know, were they razor blades? I Little guess. Knives, shanks. shanks. Well, they got to be shanks, right? Sure, they got to be shanks. Shanks and Sing Sing. Uh, and there's if slashes. I learned anything from watching Oz, it's that everybody has a shank. Shank. Shank yeah, you very you. much. Shank uh, you very much. So they shank him, and I guess they also banged his head around, or he lost a lot of blood because for some reason he, he's got brain damage that the, uh, yeah. the prison medical examiner says, you know, that he was damn near brain dead, has some kind of brain damage. So maybe that accounts for why he, why he will kill anyone now and not just bad guys. Yeah, I guess so, and it's it's how he gets out of prison too. We find out later, like they 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 go and they, McRae visits the hospital and talks to the doctor, and they're like, because everybody thinks the cop is dead, and he admits that he was almost dead, but then then he was Ooh, so and brain you hear dead. That slow heartbeat thump. He's like barely alive. Thump. Yeah, and so they just let him out of prison. They just give him to his girlfriend, the clerk. Uh, who, for whatever reason, does not let the presumed dead cop live in her house, but makes him stay on a pallet in a ladder factory with no change of clothes. Even though she <laughs> picks him up in prison. And, I mean, like, everyone thinks he's dead. He doesn't even have to hide out. Everybody thinks he's dead. She, he could just go to her house, but instead it's like, no, ladder factory for you, buddy. Why didn't he live in her house with her? Uh, I don't know. She I don't know she's in love. She with she's, somebody no, she's, else? she's in love with him. She. This is this is her man. So why can't she bring him home? Why does he have to live in the warehouse? Maybe that's why yeah. he's so mad. He's killing everybody. His wife won't let him sleep at home. Yeah, and he doesn't even have like a pair of jammies. I mean, it's just this uh, like in that first scene where he's putting on his uniform. What's what's he putting? Was he naked before that? Because he has no other clothes. <laughs> Somehow she got him his old uniform. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. And so now, now we move on to the slaughter. This is where it is. I mean, like, I couldn't keep up with it. Fourth death, fifth death, sixth death, seventh There's death. There's a lot. You don't death, even see death. some of them on screen. Sometimes we just show up yeah. and there's a body or somebody hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, he goes to the police department. He's there, and he, I, I think he's, I mean, he's coming for the commissioner. We know he wants the mayor dead, and he wants the commissioner dead. I don't know if he also wants Bruce dead, but I almost called him Bruce Dern. I can't get Bruce Campbell out of my mouth. Uh, oh my God! That wow. that could be the title of his next book. Family show, Alex. That, that could be the title of his next book. You have how to make love the Bruce Campbell way, and I can't get Bruce Campbell out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it. Was an unfortunate uh, sentence. I got ch- trapped by my own sentence structure there. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get a we get a lot of people dead in this. Uh, a lot of cops are getting killed in this scene, and then one of those is McRae. It wasn't really clear to me that it was, but McRae gets tossed out a window onto a car. Yeah. So and that's it. Tom Atkins is dead. He's I mean, gone. It's pretty unceremonious. He's just he's done. Didn't and make so, a big thing out of it. Just psh, out a window. Yeah. Smacks a truck. Isn't he? He, yeah. he lands on top of a car next. He lands to- on top of a car. And somebody's out there when it happens. Is it the girl? Uh, the, I think the, it's the girl cop. I think the I'm one that Jack Forrest has been sleeping. Is it Mallory? Um, I could I'm fuzzy on her name because I watched this a few days You're ago. You're never. Her name is Teresa Mallory. Teresa In Mallory. The, Ooh, yeah. Officer played Mallory. By, yeah. Played Thank by you, Brain Landon. 
Yeah, your brain, you always, you're good with the character names. I never can remember anybody. I can't remember their real names. Um, and so, yeah, uh, he's dead. I mean, like, I was shocked. I was, I mean, I had to go back and be like, wait, was, was that him? And yes, it was indeed him. We, Bruce gets out, right? Bruce and his girl get out. They, they escape. Uh, that's when they go to prison and learn what really happened. That, you know, he was released to his girlfriend or whatever. Uh, also, that girlfriend, I think, dies somewhere in those scenes, right? She is somehow killed in all that fray, she I believe. Had, I remember her attacking McRae with her her cane. Yeah, and, and he kills just, her, He's right? just like, he doesn't put up much of a fight. He just lays there and gets beaten yeah. with the cane. Seems yeah. like he could have just grabbed it, taken it away. I, anyway... And then, and, and wait, I how does say, this all match up with the St. Paddy's Day parade and Jack Forrest getting put in the, uh, the ambulance or the, the what? Well, they're almost there. I mean, they're almost there. I do want to point out this one scene that I took note of. The so the girlfriend does get killed. She gets her hand like chopped off or something in the in the fray there. And uh, a cop has, who's walked in and seen all this uh, gets on the radio or reaches for the phone uh, because he he's like, we need backups. He doesn't say backup. He says backups, which I love. And then he reaches for the phone, but he accidentally gets the hand, the severed hand, and starts screaming. He's seen all of these dead bodies. He's seen the absolute carnage in that has taken place inside this police station. But when he sees that hand, he just screams like a little kid. He, he's terrified. I, and I love that scene. I would be scared, too. I would definitely I would be, be scared, scared for just the initial... And that's you know, why carnage. I would know that we don't just need one backup. We need a lot. We need backups. We need backups. Many, many <laughs> that's backups. That's what he requests. We need backups. Which they did, because there, there was not enough cops in that station to stop the maniac cop. Um, so that's when they go to the parade. They, they, they visit the prison. They now, Bruce and his girlfriend, know everything. They realize that it is uh, Cordell. He's been released. He was released to his girlfriend. Uh, then they go to the parade because, you know, they got to warn the mayor and the commissioner, right? And so the girlfriend goes and she actually meets with Shaft and Captain Cigarette Butt and, you know, tells them, hey, you know, this is, this is what's happening. And they're like, this is BS. And we do not believe you. So uh, you're, you got to go to jail. I think they actually, I think he actually says to another cop, Booker. And so that cop goes to take her uh, to, to jail, and that's when we get our 10th death, our 11th death, our 12th death. And that is the commissioner, Shaft. He kills, he kills Shaft. Uh, then he gets Captain Cigarette Butt in the elevator, because she was there to warn him, but they're, uh, they, they didn't follow. And so then the cop that is arresting the girl, he's going to book her, uh, he stays back in the commissioner's office. And then I, I have him listed here as a rapist cop uh, because I he does try to like pull something on her, right? And she's not having it. Oh yeah, he's just an opportunist. He couldn't have planned this, but he's in there. He's like, hey, uh, I could, yeah, you wanna? He's not getting, yeah, he's not yeah. getting to go to the St. Patty's Day Parade, which is where the commissioner and Captain Cigarette Butt are headed to. That's right, uh, he's when, mad at the girl. He's like, get... I gotta stay here with you. Right, instead of going to, because apparently that's a huge deal in New York for cops. Is I mean, according to this movie, I don't know if that's true. They go to the St. Patty's Day uh, parade, uh, and he's mad he can't. 
But that is when the maniac cop busts through the door, a la Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that door looks like as if it's made from like newspaper. It is the thinnest door ever. Um, but uh, that's so. That, so now we know that he's getting to the girlfriend, and we cut out to uh, Bruce, who is out in the. Uh, He's he's out on the street, like watching the parade. Trying yeah, to lay low. he's staying there. He's trying to hide in that little alley, like doorway or whatever. But then some cops spot him from across the street. Yeah, they're like, there he is. Let's get him. And uh, they toss him in the back of a paddy wagon. And here's one of my favorite parts of the movie is that it turns out the paddy wagon is being driven by the maniac cop. He's going all over. He's turning right, left. And Jack Forrest is tumbling all around. At no point does he go, you know what? I should sit down and maybe lock my legs and hands because this is going to be a bumpy ride. No, no, no. He just keeps trying to stand up, falls over and over again, banging against the wall, banging against the floor, back and forth and back and forth. And at some point, you would think Jack Forrest would have been like, you know what, Jack? We should probably sit down. Nope, he does not. And I saw him talk about this because I watched the uh, Joe Bob Briggs last drive-in version of this, and he interviewed uh, he interviewed Bruce Campbell, and Bruce Campbell had not been allowed to do any of his own stunts, so he convinced them to let him do this one. So it's just Bruce Campbell throwing himself all <laughs> over the back of this paddy wagon because they won't let him do his own stunts. So uh, he had to make up for all those stunts he couldn't do and show him what he's made of. Look, guys. I'm a physical actor. I can do my own stunts. Watch me throw myself against this wall. And that seems like a good time for a break. Hello? Hi there. What can I do for you? Oh my God. Is that a woman hanging on a meat hook in the back? Oh, no. That's just decoration. We just getting ready for Halloween. Oh, okay. Well, my chainsaw here won't start, and I was wondering if uh, you could fix it, maybe sharpen the blades while you got it. Sure thing. We can fix you up. God, is someone hurt? Oh, no. That's just Gunner working on a chainsaw. Now, what seems to be a problem? Uh, it just won't start. Are you sure he's okay? He just gets to screaming when he's fixing one real good, you know, excited. In fact, he can probably get you fixed up real good if you want to hang around. Interest you in finger sandwich while you wait? Oh my god, these are, are these real fingers? Oh no, I told you, we just really get into Halloween around here. It's August. You're August. What? Oop, looks like you're up next. Ah! Go! Go! Chainsaw sales and service will fix you good guaranteed or we'll slash you or the price clean in half. This is when it turns into an action movie. I mean, this this paddy wagon being driven by the maniac cop is going a zillion miles an hour down down the road, big car chase. Uh, but who is chasing him is it other cops or is it bruce's girlfriend she's behind right because they all end up at the at pier 14 together at the factory oh it's mallory and another cop they chase the van mallory gets with just some other cop and they're chasing this van which again just a bananas 80s car chase i mean it's every 80 it, it was like watching blues brothers 
cops or you know cars are flying all around people are jumping out of the way and uh yeah bruce going for it in the back of that van um but that's when they the the maniac cops going back to the ladder warehouse uh because i guess you know i don't know why he wants to go home i mean i have no idea why he's headed there uh but he does that that poor uh security guard gets his leg smashed by the uh, paddy wagon. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is where we actually see the maniac's face for the first time is here. We've not seen him until these very last moments. And what Um, a face. Yeah. He's got crazy eyes. You might say they were the eyes of, I don't know, a maniac. And his (laughs) his jaw is cut up to pieces. He's He's been sliced a lot about the face and he's got those crazy eyes he's got murder in them their eyes yes he does he makes it to uh he makes it to the warehouse right uh he hits that watchman makes it to the warehouse and then he starts to attack the girlfriend and jack he kills the other cop that yeah, was chasing jack him has with a great Mallory. plan which is to like kind of duck back in the van and then right as the maniac cop starts to unlock it he'll launch himself towards the door (laughs) which gets him absolutely nowhere he just falls out and then he's able to get the shit kicked out of him by the maniac cop yes and uh so but then the maniac cop gets back in the van to like get out right he he's like driving away and uh and so him and bruce are kind of like fighting for control of the van yeah he starts driving they're speeding away bruce is hanging on the side of the van as they're racing towards the water but he then gets he somehow causes uh the maniac cop to drive into like a pipe like a big like steel pipe that impales him yeah what was that was that part of a boat was that a mast a sail something it's probably actually it's probably a piece of a giant ladder that's my guess giant ladder from the ladder factory yeah and uh, that is when he crashes the boat. Like, he flies into the harbor in, like, I mean, this stunt man. I mean, like, the stunt man who's playing Bruce Campbell. Because Bruce Campbell's hanging onto the side of the van while all this is happening. I'm He's watching it. When side. this happens and the, the, the van goes off to the right into the water and the stunt man goes to the left, I'm like, oh, shit, these idiots accidentally killed their stunt man when they made yeah. this movie. It looks like it doesn't end well. Like I, I think full, the, yes, the stuntman was supposed to I don't know kick off and be further away from the van, but he looks very much in danger of being crushed by this van on the way down into the water. Yes, again, I since it wasn't uh, Captain Cigarette Butt that got this uh, designation, I really thought for sure it was going to be like in loving memory of the guy who played Bruce Campbell <laughs> in this one scene because it I mean like he went for it on that stunt flying through the air into the harbor with this actual van you know paddy wagon right beside him yeah that that couldn't have ended too well but it was definitely impressive and that's that's it you know they they're fishing the van out of the river or out of the harbor or whatever and uh and you see that it pans down maniac cops not in there but then you see maniac cop's hand come out of the water grab onto the pier very awkwardly, very unnaturally, as if they were Was saying, it? hey, try to look real creepy when you bring your hand up out of the water. 
<laughs> you know, there's also a scene. You know, it's hard. I really want. To, I actually want you to look back at this, dude. It's definitely worth a rewatch. Just fast forward to the scene where they're fishing the van out. I caught it on first glance, and then I had to keep rewinding it to like I wanted to watch it again. And then I'd show my wife. There's all these cops, you know, like gathered around watching this van get pulled out, right? And the camera is like panning from left to right. It's going to go over to the van, and there's this one cop, uh, a black guy, that's just kind of in the group and he's clearly talking and laughing with somebody like the actor is it's not part of the scene and he's just laughing his ass off and then he looks over and dead into the camera and realizes the shot's going and yeah. gets real serious <laughs> it is so funny i mean it is so very very obvious uh, like I, I caught it on first glance but he looks dead into the camera lens it's like oh shit they're filming and he gets real serious and looks off it's it's great yeah and that made it into the movie. It made it into the movie. Because, I mean, it's a good shot otherwise. And Everyone, that actor never worked again. Hey, buddy, we're making a movie here, remember? Yeah. So it was uh, that. And so that's it. I didn't love the ending because it's just like eh, big crash and then you see his hand or whatever. But I will say, I mean, just I, I was impressed. I It is not what I thought it would be. All right. Yeah, give me that. Give me your overall score of this movie. Tell me what you thought. Would you recommend it? Would you watch it again? What was your takeaway from Maniac Cop? Well, um, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, absolutely. I would recommend this to people who don't like horror movies and just enjoy a nice 80s movie because I don't think you have to love horror movies to like this, but I think if you like them or don't, you'd still like this movie. And... In lieu of the fact that we don't have uh, we don't have a rating system yet, I think for this one you suggested we used uh, Campbell's. So, uh, are we gonna are we gonna rate it on a you know one to five Campbell's or one to ten? Ooh, ooh, that's tough. Uh, I mean, ten. A little more, a little more nuance with ten. So I would give this movie a solid six and a half Campbell's. Maybe seven. I'll give it six and a half. Because, I mean, there's a lot better horror movies out there than this. This is just really good, I think. Six and a half out of ten Campbells. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about Campbells. We also talked about curling irons. Oh, curling irons. But we could change it each one. Like, so, like, uh, retroactively, how many curling irons would you have given Sleepaway Camp? Oh, Sleepaway Camp gets ten out of ten curling irons. Really? Good, 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 good. Yeah, I, I would I would give it a solid nine to ten curling irons. And uh, if we're retroactively rating things, where uh, how many uh, legless scrotums <laughs> would you give Basket Case? Oh, Basket Case was special. It has its virtues. I'll give it four out of ten. I would give it three, and all three of those would be for the special effects and the guerrilla filming. They got that movie made. And uh, I think they did a pretty good job for that. Okay, so Maniac Cop, uh, you you recommended it? I'm going to give it 5 out of 10 Campbells. You're giving it 5 out of 10? That's it? Yeah. All right. It was okay. shot well. I mean, they, they knew what they were doing. The guy holding the camera, he did a good job. The music was good. The editor did a hell of a job. The actors did great. Um, yeah, I'd give it five. Five out of ten Campbells because it was missing something, and I didn't like the kills. I thought the kills were yeah. pretty weak. 
and uh, I don't know. I wasn't that invested in any one character. A lot of great actors, but there wasn't that character where I was just like, ah, I gotta know more. I feel like I'm right there with them. It didn't. It didn't completely pull me in. So I thought it was well done. Like the music, like the shooting, and uh, but I didn't like the kills, and I wasn't completely just immersed in any of the characters. But that does bring us to our craziest kill. Our what were some of the other ones? Crunchiest our most kill. Our crunchiest kill. Our most sinister slash. We haven't figured that one out yet. So uh, do you want to award this one? Uh, for me, the best kill in the movie was one that didn't even involve the maniac cop. It was the lady shooting the poor young cop. The woman who's bitter about her cold sore blows away a young man because she's worried she might get arrested and she doesn't want to have a mug shot with that cold sore forever on record. <laughs> That's why she really did it. I was like, can't go to jail and get that mug shot. <laughs> this cold sore that surprises me i really thought the contender would be trombone player into the uh sidewalk i the feel like that killed the, the actor they really phoned it in they needed to do something because mm. that could have been a gruesome kill but i just saw an actor shaking his face in some fake cement i have well uh, i mean you you're the you're the one awarding it this time so i'll give it to you uh, any idea? So this was made, the budget for this, uh, $1.1 million in 1988 money. Damn. Um, any idea? You want to you wanna guess how much it grossed? Oh, let's see. They sp- what did you say? They spent $1.1 million $1. on it? $1.1 million. Uh, it made 700000 Wow. Very close. $671,000. Wow. So did not make its budget back, but still spawned two sequels, Maniac Cop 2 and Maniac Cop 3. As a 50% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 5 out of 10. Uh, so that's about what you gave it, I'd say. It's about where we are. Uh, Variety Magazine called it a disappointing thriller, thriller that wastes an oddball premise. So not, uh, not a beloved, mind, uh, not a, not a beloved uh, a movie, but much maligned i guess but i mean you know if you're a horror fan i think that i think it's worth the watch i think it's one you gotta you gotta get that notch in your belt dread central called it amongst the cream of the crop of late 80s low budget horror i give that i don't know that cream of the crop but it's there it's there what is is that low budget that's i mean that's a lot compared to the last two movies we reviewed uh i, I would think over so. a million I would think so. Bruce Campbell, not a huge fan of this movie. I've heard that uh, several times. Uh, he's quoted it here in Wikipedia saying it's not a good movie, but when viewed in hindsight, uh, it's not a good movie. But initially it struck him as, quote, perfectly legit. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, I, I think that if if you haven't seen Maniac Cop, go give it a go give it a shot. If you haven't seen it and you don't want to see it, I don't think uh, you're missing out on any major uh, part of horror movie uh, history. But it, it was it was good for what it is. I might give the others a, a shot at some point. I know uh, Joe Bob did Maniac Cop one, and I think at least two. So that'd be you know I love Joe Bob, so that'd be uh, worth a viewing. And you, I know when we initially recorded this, you had already made your pick for our next movie. And have since rescinded that 
because it was just too bad. I hard, hard resend on that one. Um, I <laughs> recommended that we watch, what the hell was it called? Truth or Dare, Critical Madness. And uh, I just, the story around it sounded great. It was like a high school kid somehow got his hands on a movie and got a budget. And the studio finds out he's only 18 or 19 years old. And they're like, no, you can't make this movie. Uh, but the kid, I don't know if, through an attorney or whatever, but he got to keep custody of this movie and make this movie. And the only way I heard about it was somewhere there was an interview with uh, uh, Elijah Wood and Frodo was talking about how that was a movie that really stuck with him as a kid. So I'm like, oh, we might have just found one of these obscure gems that, you know, not a lot of people have seen. And I started watching it and Jesus Christ, it was torture to watch. It's so bad. The, the shots are bad. The music's bad. None of it makes any sense. It's just, I, I can't I, I can't believe it's out there. And I can't believe that it's gotten DVD treatment and Blu-ray wow. treatment. And, and it still exists where people can find it because it was worse than any film student film I've ever seen. It, it It's rough stuff. So have you made, I, I mean, I got to, Thank you immediately for not subjecting you me to that. You are so I, welcome. I, I, I mean, I just understand how much you owe me for not making you watch this because this one would have been torture. I believe you. I mean, like I, I went into doing this podcast with you knowing that probably most of your picks were going to be torture for me, just because you've suggested horror movies to me in the past that you know made me rethink our friendship and and what kind of human you are that you would, one, subject me to that, and two, enjoy something like it. But So I knew that it was going to be it was gonna be rough uh, doing this podcast with you since we trade off picks, but I really do appreciate you recognizing that something was terrible and, uh, and, and not making me watch it. So thanks for that. Oh, buddy, I got your back. So have you, have you made a pick for next week? I have a big list of ones that I was thinking about, um, and I kind of want to do something that I know we both love, because um, we've so far I think we've mostly done. You'd seen Sleepaway Camp, but Basket Case and Maniac mm-hmm. Cop, those we went in cold. But yeah. I would love for us to review something we both know and love, and will entertain us. How do you feel about Club Dread? That is so funny. My wife said, "When are you guys going to do Club Dread?" Because she knows you and I both love that movie. Uh, I am a hundred percent in, and uh, as a as a fan of Broken Lizard, and you know I love comedy movies, but as a horror movie fan, I say that this movie holds its own as a horror movie. It's a good one. I haven't seen it in a while, and here's why. Part of why I want to watch it is one, I wanted to do one that I know we both love. Also. My son is now a teenager, and he's never seen mm. Club Dread, and he's finally old enough to watch it. How old is he? He just turned 13 in, over oh, the summer. Oh, I don't know, man. That's, that's right on the cusp. I don't think I let my kid watch it until, uh, I think, maybe 16. I don't well, know. but you're a better father than I am. I will say that uh, my wife and I once watched that on a laptop on a plane. And there were so many scenes where it was like we had to like cover the screen or like, you know, like turn, <laughs> turn away from the people next to us. It was like and my wife was like, why would you pick this for, you know, to watch to watch on an airport or on an airplane with other people? And it just really hadn't occurred to me because I have no cooth. Uh, but 
she she loved it, and it's been a long time since we've seen it. So I'm 100% in, man, because I, I know people will second-guess that because it is such a comedy movie, but it is a solid horror movie. I love it. It's a solid comedy. It's a solid horror movie. It's extremely quotable. We're going to be get, it's going to be dangerous to to talk about that movie cuz that's going to be hard not to just spin the whole podcast uh quoting the movie cuz there's some oh, great God. shit in there. There's some amazing lines at it. I still say And it's got Paxton. It does have Paxton. It does have Paxton and and he's phenomenal in it. He's so great as what is he something Pete Coconut Pete? What is he? <laughs> he wrote Pina Colada Berg. He wrote Pina Which came out five years before Margaritaville, that son of a son of a bitch. <laughs> that movie is amazing. That So, okay, Club Dread it is. So if you're listening to this, folks, watch Club Dread so you can uh, be with us. I don't know if it's available on Shutter or not. I know I own it. So, you know, no big deal there. I don't know where it's uh, watchable right now. But uh, go out, rent it on Amazon or wherever you can because this is you will not be disappointed. I hey, know. I we talked ahead. about doing a giveaway, and we don't reveal what our next movie is going to be until the very end of this podcast on Maniac Cop. Should mm-hmm. that be how we do the giveaway? People have to. We'll announce it on the old social medias, and we can say what is the movie that Alex and Micah picked for the episode number four. Well, the thing we're giving away is something that I am like putting together, and I don't know that that will be uh, ready. So I'm having to 3D print a bunch of stuff, and I'm, I'm starting. It's going upstairs right now. I'm 3D printing a couple of things. But uh, you know, if you asked what's the next movie we did and our next podcast had already come out, then that'll be pretty easy. It's a beautiful prize. But it is. A I can't believe prize. we're giving it away, dude, because it's almost too good to give away. It belongs in a museum. It's beautiful. It is, you know, I love making props and I love doing stuff. And this one is really cool. I hope it comes out well. I mean, I'm just kind of in the early stages. So I guess that's it for this week. Uh, Watch Club Dread for next week. Very excited. Uh, We also are going to have a few little surprises along the way. Maybe some short interviews. Little little mini episodes uh, to fill in the gaps between when we actually post these shows. Some interviews with filmmakers, things like that. Uh, Very excited about that. Still still in the works maybe some special guests uh coming uh, always a special guest of course uh not to downplay you're how special, special you guest. are you're you actually are the special guest micah uh so you know just thanks so much for being here man. I, I know you're a busy guy uh it was my extreme pleasure to get to come on slasher i hardly know her the honor is all mine i i love doing this with you and not only do i love doing the show But I love you, Alex. I love you, Micah. See you next week, everyone. Bye. Oh, I thought you'd say we'll be right back. This is Slasher I Hardly Know, or I will never say those words because then I will die after I say them. You know how that works. Oh, good point. All right. Can't say we'll be right back. (gasps) Alex, don't say that.